Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, Schofield Community Chapel, good morning. It's good to see you again. My name is Dan Braswell. Uh, We're going to continue this morning in our sermon series, Connecting with the Sinner. As we continue in the book of Jonah, if you have your Bible, I hope that you do, I invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. And I want to say on behalf of all of our chapel team, our chaplains, and and our volunteers, God bless you. Thank you for being here. It is an honor that you choose to, to worship together with us. I was at a Aerosol graduation this week, and one of the privileges I have is I, I do a lot of the invocations for those graduations, Aerosol, Jungle School, etc., and, and I get to hear some great guest speakers. Every one of them, they have a different guest speaker, and it was a first sergeant who was the guest speaker, and boy, he, he probably only spoke about four or five minutes, but by the end, he, 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 was, he had me ready to go to any school the Army had to offer. He was very hooey, had me pumped up. I just sort of imagine this bald eagle going across, you know, as he was speaking. It was just so awesome. He had me all fired up. And one of the, he started out, he said to the soldiers, he said, we don't have to do this. We get to do this. We have this great privilege and honor. And he kept saying it was his honor. And, you know, as I thought about that, on behalf of us as our chapel team, God bless you. It is, it is an honor to know that you chose to be here. It's interesting as I go around and hear different people talk about spirituality in America. The conventional wisdom is, is well, nobody wants to go to church. Nobody's going to chapel. People under the age of 40 aren't interested in those things. And I always tell people, well, don't tell Schofield Community Chapel because you just described most of our congregation. We're here worshiping the Lord together. Amen. So I'm glad that you're here. Well, today we're going to continue with our sermon series, Connecting with the Sinner, in Jonah chapter 2. Chaplain Thompson took us to the point where Jonah was thrown overboard, and we had the cliffhanger last week at the end of Jonah chapter 1 that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. He could run, but but he couldn't hide. Some of you may remember back in the 1930s, there was a boxer, Joe Lewis. He's, he's known certainly as one of the best of all time. And he was a boxer from 1937 until he retired in 1949. He actually held the title longer than anybody else, even Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson. He, he still has held it longest. And there was an up-and-coming fighter named Billy Kahn. Billy Kahn was known for his speed and the the the... the The thought by everybody was that Billy Kahn would simply use his speed to to duck and to dodge and to to sort of go the distance with Joe Lewis and sort of stay away from some of those power punches. And at that time, at one of the interviews, Joe Lewis made the famous phrase about Billy Kahn. He said, he can run, but what? But he can't hide. Well, guess what? We can run, but we can't hide from God. And Jonah learns that. I want us to look at Jonah chapter 2, and let's read uh, the entire chapter together. Follow along as I read. I encourage you also to keep your Bibles open there as we look this morning. The text says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Verse number six, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish. He spoke to him at the beginning. He speaks again. And it, that is the fish, vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And you'll have to continue coming to chapel to hear the rest of the story as we look at connecting with the sinner in Jonah. Today I want to share three lessons from the belly. Lessons from the belly. I think in this story, there's several characters, right? Of course you have Jonah. You have the sailors that we've already talked about. You have the Ninevites. But the character that I want to focus in on today is God himself. And I want to look at some lessons from what God is doing in this story. In your bulletin, I believe I put the outline there. There's a blank. There's some blanks. You can use that to fill in the blanks. I noticed when we're, when we're preaching, we notice many of you take notes. So we want to give you that as a tool as we look at lessons from the belly. That is the belly of the fish. The first lesson is this, point number one. God is working to align your heart with his. God is always at work. You can read in the New Testament when Jesus says in one place in John, he says, I see what my father is doing and, and, and I join him. He, he follows the father. I believe God is always at work in your life and mine. As the song says, even when I don't see it, God's working. Even when I don't feel it, God is working. Jonah, he did not like the assignment that God gave him. God directed Jonah to leave his homeland and to go to the enemy city of Nineveh, a hostile area, a center of idol worship, a center and a part of the world in Nineveh, by the way, that many in this room have been to that area of the world. At this time, they were not followers of the Lord, and God told him to go there. He didn't want to go. The Hebrews, I imagine, in many ways, hated the people of Nineveh. So this rebellious prophet, he fled the opposite direction. He was hoping for a different word from the Lord that would be more to his liking. I know none of you have ever, got, ever gotten an assignment from the army that you didn't like. And I know none of you have ever got to the point where, good night, fort, fill in the blank. I'm not going there. What do you do? You start wheeling and dealing. I know none of y'all ever do that. You call branch and all, and all that kind of stuff. Well, 
by all means, you do what's best for your family. I'm not saying you can't push back. You, you go ahead and push back and do what's best for your family on your assignments and do what you need to do. But I will say this. When we talk about what God calls us to do, there's no place for us to wheel and deal and call branch and check this out or call that out. When God says go, we go. But check this out. God is working to align Jonah's heart with his. It's interesting that Jonah got so comfortable in his assignment, we learned last week that he went to sleep. Let me say that again. I, I, I misspoke. He got so comfortable in his disobedience, that's what I wanted to say, that he was asleep. It's one thing to disobey God and, and sort of still be wrestling with it, right? I know God wants me to do this, but I'm, I'm going to start going this way. But if we're not careful, we will totally disobey. We will go the other direction. And we'll get comfortable enough to rest and to sleep in our disobedience. I think many times the world has questions. The world is afraid. The world is trying to figure out what's going on. And the church many times might be asleep. But God even used Jonah in his disobedience, didn't he? He, he used Jonah to help those sailors to look uh, to the true God. I can't help but think of Romans chapter 13. You don't have to turn there, but, but I'll read verse 12 to you. It says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And in another verse in Romans 13, it says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. God is working to align your heart with his. God is always working to that end. And what that means is that many times God will do things to get our attention. You could call it discipline. In fact, I want you to turn. I'm going to show you a passage that talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible, just hold your place in Jonah chapter 2 and we'll look at Hebrews chapter 12. It's going to use the word discipline, which the root of that word is disciple. The point of discipline is to make us better, right? That's what we do. That's why we raise our children. That's why we teach them do this and don't do this and point them in the right direction. That's why we have discipline in the army to make us better. Well, Hebrews 12 said this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Which, by the way, is right out of Proverbs chapter 3. All the writer of Hebrews doing is quoting that concept that's all through the Bible. God disciplines those he loves. God is at work in your life to align your heart with his. When we talk about connecting with the sinner, and after we finish the book of Jonah, we're going to hopefully give us some tools out of some principles from the New Testament regarding how we can share our faith with other people, how to witness. And we're going to learn that what God is calling us to do is to be his witnesses. That's lesson number one. God is working to align your heart with his. It may be through discipline. It may be through circumstances. We might not see it and we might not feel like it, but rest assured, God is at work to align your heart with his. Point number two is this. And again, these are all things God is doing. He's not only working, but he's also looking for us 
to call out to him as our hope and our salvation. God is looking to see how we're going to respond when he gets our attention. I want you to walk through this passage with me in Jonah chapter 2. Inside the fish, God, uh, Jonah learns some interesting things. Inside the fish, in verse number 2, it says he cried out to the Lord. God has his attention. He says, look down in verse 4. I've been driven away from your sight. Jonah's learning some things here, right? Go down to verse number 7 in Jonah chapter 2. When my life was fainting away, some translations would say fading away, I remembered the Lord. And look how he ends it in verse number 9. With the voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed, I will pay. And then he makes the statement, salvation belongs to the Lord. God's looking to Jonah, and here we see Jonah calling out to God as his only hope and his only salvation. Jonah quotes many times from the Psalms as he reads this. I can't help but think of many of the Psalms. For example, when you look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, you cast me into the deep, this idea of deep calls to deep. That, that comes up in Psalm 42. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just share it with you. In Psalm 42, it says, At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It sounds like Jonah's been reading the Psalms, or at least is pretty familiar with them. He says in verse 4, I've been banished from God's sight, right? In Psalm 31, it says, the psalmist says, I am cut off from your sight. In the passage that Zion read this morning for us in Psalm chapter 3, many there be that trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Jonah uses some of that language when he talks about, in verse 5, for example, the water closed in over me to take my life. Weeds were wrapped around my head. If you ever go through jungle school, you'll learn how to do a particular knot. It's called a double figure eight. And the jungle standard is it has to be, some of you know, bigger than your fist to go through, but it can't be so big that it goes around your head. Why is that? Because we don't want anybody to get in the water and have that thing tangle around their head. It's a safety issue. Jonah is saying in this passage, yeah, the weeds are around my head. This is, this is bad. Jonah is recognizing his desperate need for God. He talks about worthless idols in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm chapter 96 says, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And we've already mentioned his great statement at the end, salvation is from the Lord. You could do a search in the Psalms for that statement, and you're going to find it dozens of times. That powerful statement that salvation is from the Lord. What is Jonah doing here? Jonah is confessing that he needs God for his salvation. He recognizes that God is in charge of his life. And by the way, the fact that he ends in hope and salvation, you might say, wow, he's in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Remember, he was in a tempest sea that he got thrown into. Yeah, it might not have been a fun three days. I don't know what he did for three days to entertain himself. 
The prayer that we have here probably doesn't take more than about a minute and a half to say. What do you do for the other 71 hours and 58 minutes? I have no idea. But I can tell you that Jonah came to a point where he realized that he held God blameless, but he found himself guilty. And church, let me say this. In our society today, we've bought into some things that just are not biblical. We have these ideas that what people really need is this idea of I'm not really accountable for every anything. It's always got to be somebody else's fault. If you go back through history during the Enlightenment in Western civilization and you go to the the modernism and sort of the industrial revolution, the, the quote, scholars many times went down this trail of we're going to learn things, we're learning, we're doing technology, and we've learned that there is no God. There's only simply science. Trust the science. Science is great. Science is the answer. And in modernism, we, we throw out God. But then in the past, oh, 20, 30, 40 years, Another phrase sort of came along. We're, we're not so much modernists anymore. We're, we're postmodernists. Postmodernism says, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. You may refer to it as sort of a moral relativism. What's true for me? Well, that's all well and good because that's my truth. What's true for you? Well, that's your truth. If we're talking about ice cream, that's okay. There's nothing morally wrong with vanilla or chocolate, although I have my opinions on which one I like. We could be talking about football teams. Again, I could say the Cowboys is America's team, and I love the Cowboys, and you could weep and gnash your teeth, and that's okay. But when we're talking about universal claims that God tells us in Scripture, there's no room for this business of your truth and my truth. We have this culture that says, I'm not really accountable to anyone. And it's interesting now, on the one hand, we had this idea of your truth and my truth. Now we've taken that a step further in our culture. I share all this with you because I want you to be able to look at the culture through the lens of Scripture. Our culture now says, well, not only your truth and my truth, but if you, don't dis if you disagree with me, well, then yours is just disinformation. Listen to this. Jonah in this passage point blank says, God, you are my hope and my salvation. And when you read scripture, that message permeates throughout. Jonah came to understand that he was a sinner in need of a savior. The Bible has a statement in Romans that says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can fact check that all day long. I got something for you to fact check. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You could fact check it and say, well, that doesn't really match with my truth. That matters not because God said I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Chaplain, why are you harping on this so much? Because I want us to understand 
when we talk about connecting with the sinner, we have to keep our eyes on God's truth, that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, and he died on a cross, and he rose again. And the only way for us to be saved is to reach out to him, repent of our sins, and place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have no idea what the culture is going to do 20 years from now. I don't really know what the culture is going to do next week, to be honest with you. And y'all are laughing. Y'all don't know either. But I do know this. The truth of, the, of God's word changes not. One of the lessons we have to walk away is that God is looking for us to call out to him as, as our hope and our salvation. Point number three. And the last point's almost going to be a cliffhanger for us. God will put us in a place where we can obey his command to be his witness. We've already said God's at work. We've established that. God's looking for us to respond to him in repentance and faith. And by the way, if you've been listening to this sermon and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I have good news. You can turn from your sins and call out to God and he'll save you. If you're here today and you say, you know, chaplain, I'm a Christian, but, but you know, I'm like Jonah. I'm going this way. I've got good news. God's right here. He's looking. He says, call out to me. If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's where the rubber meets the road with point number three. God will put us in a place where we can obey his command to be his witness. How's the story in? Three days and three nights in a fish. I didn't speak much on what that was like because I really have no clue. All I have is his prayer. We focused on the prayer. And then in verse number 10, very simply, the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I can't help but think of Proverbs 26, 11, As a dog returns to his own vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. When I was a little boy, I didn't really understand it when I was younger, but my grandfather, we would eat on Sundays at his house. How many of y'all had experiences like that when you were younger? I, I, was, I, I did not grow up in a military family. Everybody lives very close. And my grandfather, I would eat, and he used to say, Boy, every time, you're, every time your elbow bends, your mouth flies open. That's what he would say. I was like, what, is that, what does that mean? Sort of that repetitive, oh, okay, I finally figured it out when I was about, I don't know, I'm probably embarrassed to say how old I was when I figured it out, but... I went, oh, that's what, that's what Pops meant. Okay. As a dog returns to his vomit, a fool who repeats his folly. The classic, I'm banging my head against the wall over and over. Why is my head bleeding? I know none of you have ever done the same thing over and over and over and kept having the same negative results. Or I know you've never dealt with anybody who you see repeating the same mistakes over and over. Well, that's what we have here. Because... The beginning of chapter 3 is just simply, the word of the Lord came to Jonah what? The second time. The second time. God spoke to Jonah again during this interval after Jonah had been buffeted by the storms, tossed and turned, thrown into the sea, traveled in the stomach of the fish for three days. God says, all right, we're going to try this again. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read to you part of Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John 17, 
Jesus prayed that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now watch this. Jesus prayed so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And that is where Jonah finds himself now a second time. Because God will put us in a place where we can obey his command to be his witnesses. God is looking for us to be faithful. Over the past few weeks, we've closed our service in, in a couple of different ways. Uh, one of the Sundays, you gave us, I can't always forget the exact number, 300 and 328 names that we were specifically praying for on index cards to be saved. And then in another week, you sent us index card, and, and, I, and I've been praying for those this past week that you got passed off to me. We take turns praying, and we're praying for the names, and I was praying for your prayer request of things like praying for boldness as we share with others, praying for, praying for loved ones, praying for your own uh, walk with the Lord, and those kinds of things. Today, in just a minute, we're going to close, and we're going to sing a song together. But this last point, the application for this message today, I believe, just like Jonah, and you'll have to come back next week and we'll talk about what Jonah did. But for you and for me, God's put us in a place where we can obey his command and be his witness. We can pray while we're here. We can make commitments to the Lord while we're here in this place, and I'm thankful for that. But I think the real question is, just as Jonah is giving it again, here, go do what I called you. What are you and what, are, what am I going to do with those things that God has called you and I to do. And those things are going to take place after we leave this place. It is my prayer that we can learn some lessons from the belly and that we can be a part of what God is doing. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, you're at work all around us. And God, I thank you that time and time again, if we look at our own lives, we, we could honestly say, God, it's not a second chance for me. It's a third. It's a fourth. On and on. Because your mercies are new every day. God, I pray that as we live our lives and as we go about our week this week, God, that you will lay on our heart those things that you've called us to do. Heavenly Father, for those people we're praying for, Maybe at this point, God, you're, you've said, okay, you've prayed for them. Now I want you to go share with them my truth about Jesus and his salvation. God, I pray you give us the boldness to do that. God, I pray that we will answer yes to whatever it is you are calling us to. God, I pray for our people. You certainly are a friend of sinners. And as we know from the Bible, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Give us boldness to live out that life with you, and God, give us courage to share that with others. Thank you for allowing us to join you in your work, and I pray that we would. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.